You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. begin reading in verse 6 and then read through the end of the chapter. Please give your attention to the reading of God's Word. This is God speaking to us today. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made uh, for themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because... I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, 
because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, these may be the saddest passage of all of Scripture. And I pray now you would shine your light upon it, that we would understand who we are and who you are and what you have done to rescue us from this sin and misery we've thrown ourselves into. Lord, I pray that you would bring your word to each person as they have need right now. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Imagine a young boy playing out in the neighborhood with two of his friends. While they're playing, one of the boys the idea occurs to him that it'd be nice to get a snack, but because it's so close to dinner time, you know that the parents aren't going to give him any treats. But there is a small, a small little uh, food mart just down the block owned by an older immigrant couple, and they have a, a candy section that one of the friends happens to know is not always well watched. And so the young boy is convinced by his friends that if they just sneak in at the right time, they can quickly grab something and then run back down the block and enjoy their treat. So without much pressure, the young boy goes with his friends. And sure enough, his one buddy has obviously done this before and he can see when the shop owner goes into the back and so they quickly sneak in, they grab what they came for and they're running out. And as he's going down the street, he already feels that something has changed in him. He doesn't know what. And as he's running down the street with his buddies and they just have to turn the corner and then they can sit and enjoy their snack, he sees a very familiar car coming up the street. It's his dad. His dad occasionally is commissioned by mom to pick up last-minute items at the food mart. And almost certainly his dad is going to see them because they're out in the open. And what is dad going to think? What is he going to ask? What's he going to say? 
And that's where we find Adam and Eve right now in this passage. We've looked at the temptation. We've looked at the fact that they've eaten of the fruit. And now God is in the garden. And, and what's going to happen? And this morning, Adam and Eve are made in the image of God. And part of the reason that they ate from the fruit was it says that Eve saw that it was to make one wise. And in this passage, there is a lot going on. But what I would like to look at is essentially two world orders that are introduced into the world at this point. The one, which we'll look at first, is the serpent's world order. The way the serpent would have the world run. The way he would have the world set up. And then we'll see how, in fact, Adam and Eve start to image the serpent rather than God. And then secondly, what I would like to look at is how God dramatically shows he is very different. The way he would run the world is very different from the way the serpent would set up the world. And what I hope that we come away with this morning is an incredible sense for how different God is from everything that we generally know about the way the world works and to see that God is remarkably gracious and generous and gentle to traitorous sinners. So, that's where I'd like us to go this morning. So Adam and Eve, they're made in the image of God. They are, in some sense, the children of God. Not physically, biologically, but as his creation, his special creation, they were made to image their heavenly father. And they were given the, the responsibility to govern and to rule in a way that represented the character and wisdom of God as the great king. But then shows up the serpent who, as Pastor Josh showed us last week, opposes God. He directly goes against and questions God's word, God's character, God's decrees, right? In verse 1 it says, did God really say? And in verse 4, the very direct, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat, you will be like God, right? God's withholding something from you. Things could be better. We could set up a better world order than the one that he's instituted. The serpent is offering them wisdom without, separate from the word and the fear of God. But here's the thing about the serpent. He is more crafty. He's, the, the word crafty, is, he's, he's of a, a wisdom level that's above Adam and Eve. We have to read on to the Bible to know that the serpent, as Pastor Josh pointed out last week, is in fact an angelic being, not, not simply a, like a copperhead or something. And what the serpent wants to do is he wants to exploit the innocence, the naivety, the vulnerability, the nakedness of Adam and Eve. And 
essentially what he does is they are naked and innocent. They're not very clearly aware of that until after they sin. And it is the, sat it is the Satan's job to strip people naked, expose them, make them vulnerable. And in fact, this is a theme you see throughout the rest of the Bible and particularly in Genesis. You can think of instance after instance of stories in Genesis, if you read on, where someone takes the clothing off of someone else, exposing them. You can think of Ham with Noah. You could think of Joseph and his brothers. There's so many stories, if you watch, where people show themselves to be like the serpent by taking someone who's weaker than them and pulling, showing them for what they are. Those are the people that image the serpent. They misuse their power, the serpent being craftier, being an angelic being of greater power and status than the humans, misleads them, exploits them, exposes them, humiliates them, those who are weaker and simpler. And in doing so, he draws them to his side. Right? In verse 7, suddenly Adam and Eve know that they are naked. And it's not simply that they know that they don't have clothes on. Their nakedness has to do with their guilt as well. They are guilty before God. They've lost their privileged status. They failed their assignment. All of these things would have immediately dawned on them. And what are they going to do? There's every expectation at this point that when God, the great king, shows up, there's only one thing that they can expect, and that's for the other shoe to drop. On the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. This is the end for them. Their story is short. They have two options, Adam and Eve. They can cover and hide in the creation. They turn to the creation to hide themselves they hid themselves from the presence of God, we're told in verse 8. Their relationship with God is shot. Adam says very explicitly, I heard you in the garden in verse 10, and I, I was naked, I hid myself. But not just hiding from God. Here's where the tragedy actually increases. They actually now image the serpent. Because they can hide themselves, but that's not going to work, right? God is all-knowing, all-seeing. They can't hide. So they turn to tattling. They expose each other. They shift the blame. Adam, in chapter 2, who had sung the praises of Eve, this great blessing from God, leaves her out to dry. He abandons her and he exposes her, right? Just like the serpent did to him. The woman who you put here, verse 12. Imagine the young boy when dad pulls the car over and says, what are you doing? And he immediately says, not just like, they made me do it, but then he shoots back at his dad and you're a horrible parent. 
What kind of ethical training have you given me? I should have known better. And Adam not only blames Eve, he blames God. Which is also what the serpent said, right? Things could be better. God's word isn't going to hold. Eve also doesn't take responsibility immediately, right? The serpent deceived me and I ate. So they now look like the serpent. And in all of this, we see ourselves. We see the world in which we live. It doesn't take much to look around our culture, our society, or cultures, or societies to see that this is the way the world operates. You think about politics. So much of politics, for example, is digging up dirt on other people. Entertainment. So many TV shows are based on, like, you watch these competitions with the rows of judges, and people come out to display their talents. And one of the things that we love to watch is someone who is obviously not talented, but thinks they are, get shredded by the judges. Make fun of them. Make them cry. Or think about, you go to the grocery store, and you're going through checkout, and there's all these magazines. How many of them are about people's lives? You know, the rich and famous, another divorce, back in rehab, so-and-so unmasked, right? And we eat this up. We pay money for this stuff. We delight in it. And that is a diabolic activity. We can't imagine life without this kind of entertainment where the powerful prey on the weaker. But not just for the rich and famous out there. Think about it in your own life, within your family's life. We love to expose the foibles and mistakes that family members make. When we were younger, my brothers and I, you know, we occasionally would get turns to pray at the dinner table. And one of the things that we all did was we, you know, okay, it's my turn to pray. So I bow my head, close my eyes and look around and pray, Heavenly Father, help John to close his eyes while I'm praying, right? It's like, which obviously you have to have your eyes open to do it. So uh, there you have it. But we, with our words, regularly do this exact same thing. We pick on each other. We pick on each other's insecurities. We make fun of each other. With our words, we gossip behind other people's backs when they're not there to defend themselves. With our eyes, we look at pornography. This is, this is the serpent's mode of operation. This is what he wants. And it gets uglier the more powerful that you are. It's one thing for maybe peers to make fun of each other, right? They're equals. 
But when you have someone more powerful who berates someone who is in a weaker and more vulnerable position, it's so ugly. And sometimes we can see it. And you can see it in others, but sometimes we can't see it in ourselves. We abuse each other emotionally, physically, spiritually. Strip people of their dignity. We're like Adam and Eve. We also adopt the strategy, though, of hiding and covering ourselves, right? If we're not throwing dirt on someone else or exposing someone else, we try to cover and hide ourselves. Go back again. You're going to check out of the grocery store. If one group of magazines is about exposing all the sad and sorry experiences of the rich and famous, the movie stars, another group of articles that you'll find is how to make yourself better. Self-improvement. How to be stronger, faster, more successful. Buff up, slim down. This is the outcome of being in a culture and a society where you pick on each other. Because it, everyone is afraid to receive what they dish out. Because we all know who we are and what we've done. We hide. There are plenty of skeletons in the closet. Lies. Stolen goods. Wicked thoughts. Angry outbursts. Hurtful words, addictions. You could just go on and on and on. There's no one here that could get up and stand in front of everybody and just have their life examined without being utterly embarrassed. And the serpent wants to do that. And in fact, the serpent does do that to everybody here. Again and again. That is the serpent's way. So what's the alternative? What's the alternative? Who were we meant to be? What is God's wisdom? When God shows up, we expect nothing but straight judgment of these traitors. But what is surprising is that God will not and does not run the world the way the serpent does. And we see how he deals with his image bearers. And he shows us what his image should be like. First thing to note about God. He does address sin. God doesn't come in and say, you had a rough day. I'm sorry. Forget it. You know. No, God actually calls sin and evil what it is. He cannot help it. But he doesn't do it in a crushing way. He does speak directly to the guilt, right? Two times he says in verse 11 and verse 17 when he addresses Adam, he says, have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to? He makes it very clear what's happened. He also does deal out the covenant curses. 
And he explains the consequences of the sin. Right? Their task was to be fruitful and multiply, to have children. Verse 16, For Eve, though, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And this is not just that it will hurt to deliver a baby. What is in view is that the whole experience of raising a child will be hard. The relational brokenness is going to be pretty thorough. And Genesis 4 will prove that point. Their task, which was to cultivate the creation and have dominion. You look at verses 17 and 19. There's going to be pain in the work. Pain for food. They were to rule the creation, but now, Adam, you're going to work it until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust. To dust you will return, right? You wanted to be like God, but rather than reaching to the heavens, your trajectory in life, you're going to go back into the earth. You're not God's stuff the way you wanted, the way the serpent told you you would be. Their relationship with God, with each other, with the creation is all changed. It's ruined. Clearly, we've already seen that they were afraid of God. The woman's relationship with the man's going to change. Verse 16, he's going to exercise dominion over you. This is not a positive thing. He's, he's going to, rather than exercise sort of a mastery of the creation, there's going to be a strong Oppression of her. The humans are going to be removed from the garden, a place of communion with God, and where the food was right there on the trees, right? Now they're going to have to work for it, and God isn't going to be there. Their job of taking care of the garden is handed over to the cherubim in verse 24. He's put there to guard the garden, which was what the humans were supposed to do. But here's the thing. God does shoot straight with them. He does not ignore what they've done. But he also gives them hope. This is, Genesis 3 is the first judgment day. But what God does, and, and, and Adam and Eve had no expectation that it would be anything other than judgment day. But God shows himself to be gracious. This is not going to be the judgment day. There is a hope. There is promise. Because there will be work. There will be children. But in his curse of the serpent, in verse 15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is what's called the first gospel. This is the first promise of the Bible that something good is coming. There's going to be a descendant, a child, who's going to fight the serpent. And if you look at different translations, they translate this word for bruise differently. Some of them put crush or strike. It's a lethal blow. The serpent will be crushed. And now, the Bible becomes a great cosmic scavenger hunt looking for this child. It's a word of promise. But here's the thing with God. God isn't 
a God just of words. If Adam and Eve were encouraged by the serpent to question God's word, God not only gives them a promise, but he also gives them an act. God always puts together his words with acts to show that he's not just about talk, unlike ourselves so often. He clothes them in verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now there are a number of reasons why God might clothe them, even though they have already made clothes for themselves. Right, verse 7, they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. One is to protect them. It's possible that what they made wasn't going to last outside the garden, right? I mean, these are the supremely pampered people of all of human history. It wasn't any better. They haven't had a rough life yet. So God's going to clothe them. But the other thing is, is that the clothing demonstrates an act of forgiveness. You could read Psalm 32, for example, where the language of forgiveness is paralleled to the language of clothing or covering. God is showing that he is going to care for them, that he has forgiven them. But there's another reason why he clothes them. It's also to show that he has, in some sense, reinstated them as his heirs of the creation. In the ancient world, they don't have banks and wills. It was actually in your clothing that you had demonstrations of what you were going to inherit. And you can see this most clearly in the story of Joseph. Joseph is given a really nice coat, and it's not because his brothers are like, oh, I can't believe dad gave Joseph the designer jacket, and we only get the kind of knockoff brands. No, it was because he got the garment that said he was going to be the prime inheritor. And so when God clothes Adam and Eve, he's telling them that actually they're somehow still going to have a shot at inheriting the creation that was theirs. And this is in contrast with the serpent. The serpent wanted to take everything from them. Take their inheritance. Show them to be exposed. And God is going to be the complete opposite. God does deal with their sin, but he doesn't deal with it in a cruel sort of way. He addresses it. But unlike the serpent who exposed them to be naked, God will clothe them. God will restore them. God will forgive them. But here, God does not do it without some cost. Forgiveness always comes with a cost. Someone has to absorb the penalty of the evil done. And one of the things is, is that to make this garment, an animal had to die, as Pastor Josh pointed out on Good Friday. That's one element of the cost. Something gave its life that these two might be clothed. But here's the other thing. 
God actually humbles himself to do this. If you read the Bible, God only does God's stuff. When he can delegate for a human to do something, he will. God makes the stars. God makes the sun. God parts the sea. God brings floods. God does the supernatural. But even when it comes to something as important as building the tabernacle or the temple, he commissions humans to do it. But here, as far as I know, the only place in Scripture where God does something that a human could do, we're told in verse 21 that God made garments of skin for the man and his wife. This is below God's dignity. This is below what he is capable of. He's more than a tailor. God could do any number of things, but he stoops to make clothes for these two. He shows himself not only to be gracious, but in some sense to be willing to humble himself to meet them at their greatest need. He won't do anything like this again until he shows up as a baby. The king of the universe, we saw in Genesis 1, masterfully designing the cosmos, stoops now to put some clothes together for people who turned on him. But in one sense, this is a job that only God can do. Only God can do this act of forgiving these two sinners. No one else can. You'll often hear advice that you just need to forgive yourself. If you're lonely, give yourself a hug. Adam and Eve are cosmically lonely at this point, right? Before God clothes them. Because they don't even have each other. They've turned on each other. Adam completely betrayed Eve. Only God can forgive us. He has to clothe them if there is going to be forgiveness. And this is the epitome of God's wisdom. So Proverbs 10, 12 says, Hatred stirs up controversy, but love covers all wrongs. Love clothes others. That is in garment image, and that is what Christ himself will do. In Philippians chapter 2, right? The dis incredible description of Jesus. That though he was in the very form of God, the very nature of God, he humbled himself by what? Taking the form of a servant. And not just taking the form of a servant, he goes, he stands in trial. He's mocked, he's jeered. As a criminal, he is stripped naked by the human order that follows the serpent. 
to pay the debt that we couldn't pay. And yet Paul in Colossians chapter 1 speaks of Christ as the firstborn, the heir of the universe. He is the image and the wisdom of God, we read in Colossians. Read Colossians this week and you see how beautiful is Jesus. But because of what Jesus has done, Paul can say then in Romans 13, 14, listen to this. He says to the Christians, put on Christ. Put on Christ. It is in Christ that we see how this garment image, how Adam and Eve are restored in every way. Not only forgiveness, but that they are going to inherit once again the creation. So what does this mean for us as a church? What sort of church do we want to be? What do we want to be as God's people? Do we want to be a place where people get backstabbed, where there's gossip, where we're constantly afraid of making mistakes in front of each other? Or would we rather be eager to build each other up to protect those who are most vulnerable and most need of care? Do we want to be a place where people are encouraged by our words? Where we speak well of each other? Where we see someone in need and we, because we want to be like God, like Christ, we're even willing to stoop down to build someone up. Because we want to reject everything about the serpent system. And the church is that on this planet. As soon as you step outside the church, people image the serpent. And here in the church, we want to get rid of that. We don't want to impugn each other's character or dignity. We don't want to belittle each other. We want to clothe each other. We want to be that countercultural community that reflects Christ where our gifts our talents our power our authority is used for others just like Christ used everything for us imagine it wasn't like Christ held back anything the serpent lied he totally lied to us in Genesis 3 God's holding back and God is going to go to the ultimate to show that the serpent is a liar. Because Christ gave up everything for every single person in here. Everything. He didn't hold anything back from us. And when we are caught in sin, rather than hide it, we're told in Psalm 32, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered, who doesn't try to hide it themselves and cover it themselves. We want to give thanks. Yes, I have done evil, but in Christ I am covered. And Christ is the only method. There is nothing that you can do apart from Christ. If you today do not know Christ, if you are not in Christ, you stand before God Naked. Your guilt is right there. He can see it. But the thing is, is that He has given you 
an opportunity to be clothed. The wisdom of God is not like the wisdom of this world. And here is the encouragement. Adam in verse 20 reaches out in faith. Verse 20, the man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. This is an act of faith. Adam, in the gracious extension of God, he takes hold of what God has said. God has promised there will be children. And so Adam, believing God, names his wife based on the promise that God has given to her. She will be the mother of the living. God, by his wisdom at the creation, caused the abundant life to spring forth. And God, by his wisdom, now shows himself to be gracious and he's going to purchase back humanity from the serpent. From our own sin, our own misery, every broken relationship, God is going to restore and fix through Christ. I want to conclude with two paragraphs from a book titled Watership Down, which I think just captures remarkably the feeling of relief when you encounter grace. To come to the end of time of anxiety and fear, to feel the cloud that hung over you, over us, lift and disperse. The cloud that dulled the heart and made happiness no more than a memory. This is at least one joy that must have been known by almost every living creature. Here is a boy who was waiting to be punished. But then unexpectedly, he finds that his fault has been overlooked or forgiven. And at once, the world reappears in brilliant colors, full of delightful prospects. Here is a soldier who was waiting with heavy heart to suffer and die in battle. But suddenly the luck has changed. There is news. The war is over. And everyone bursts out singing. He will go home after all. That is ours in Christ. If we are in Christ, we are clothed this day. And we have the opportunity at something totally different than what the serpent offered us in Genesis 3. Praise be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you've been so good to us. And forgive us for those of us who have known you for so long that we forget how much you have given and forgiven that you did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us all. How will you not also along with him graciously give us all things? And O oh Lord, in this life where there is so much sin and misery, where we have so many things that we are guilty over, feel guilty about, that haunt us, help us to know your ways. Help us to know Christ. I pray that everyone in this room would know the relief that comes from being clothed with Christ. And I pray, O oh Lord, that as we are clothed in Christ, we would begin to reflect our Lord Jesus in all of His wisdom, 
and his gentleness and his humbleness and his willingness to protect and to cover and to forgive. I pray you would expand our hearts which are so self-centered and selfish. Open our hearts wide to you, O Lord, and to each other and to the world that needs to hear of this living and humble God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.